Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's your fun little wizard here, Holden McNeely. And everybody knows that a wizard can't properly shoot a fireball at a dragon without a great-feeling pair of underwear on. That's why today's episode is brought to you by Mack Weldon. And I'm telling you, Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. I'm giddy as a fucking school bruiser in anticipation of my own Mack Weldon order. The website itself was incredibly easy for me to navigate, and that's because Mack Weldon wants you to be comfortable so much so that if you don't like your first pair you can keep it and they will still refund you and check this crazy bullshit out by using the promo code wizard you can get 20 percent off everything on the site that's right using the promo code wizard you get 20 percent off so please shop mac weldon today Your forbidden wizard, Holden McNeely. And it's me, your all-encompassing, very happy-to-see-you bruiser. <laughs> Come on into my house. The doors are unlocked. I'll beat you up. And today's episode is on... Akira! 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 Akira Kanada! Tetsuo! I have to say, it's been... I don't My think body! I, it hurts! <laughs> I don't think I've seen this film or read the manga since college. Uh, I sat down... I, I, told, I said to Lexi, I was like, I want you to watch this movie with me. I don't think you're going to like it, but it is like kind of the quintessential like anime in a lot of ways. It definitely is one of the landmarks. It is yes. definitely a point where, uh, like, right before Toonami became big, right before Adult Swim became big, this was, like, the kind of opening salvo of the 90s anime boom. Yes. Uh, but it is also a psychotropic nightmare scape yeah. that when I watched it in college, I was stoned out of my fucking mind. <laughs> yes. And I literally had a complete identity crisis, <laughs> what with all the nuclear war and body horror. It is a, it is very violent, incredibly <laughs> violent. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how to... There's like... I mean, I guess I could just immediately... Like, there's a moment in that movie when, when Akira is kind of first speaking to Tetsuo, right? Mm-hmm. And he's on all fours. Uh, um, he's flipping out. He's Tetsuo flipping is out. tripping balls. You see like guts and stuff and it's weird. Not guts from Berserk but like his own, <laughs> like guts like the inside of the body. And then all the sound cuts out and you just see his, all of his intestines and everything just fall out of his Violently stomach. Violently just splorf. But like two dead, like all the sound cuts out though. So there's this weird jarring like, it fucks with me really hard. I, and I remember when we were watching it again, I'm like, man, this movie is very effective in disturbing the fuck out of a person. And after the film was done, I was like, I remember this feeling, this <laughs> shitty, weird feeling that that comes with watching this film. So, yeah, I mean, let's dig in. I, I mean, I, I think it's such an exciting, fertile here's, you know, place. To, yeah, to, to, here's to, what I think is the most uh, crazy. There's going to be a lot of things that are the most crazy yes. about this movie. Uh, <laughs> is It's just that we were, I've never felt that feeling of unease and horror from an animated movie before Mm -hmm. there's like because the movie is also has like cool action scenes and comedy and like romance and you know all these other things that you expect from a big movie but specifically that like psychological horror had never i don't think i'd ever seen that in a cartoon especially when this thing was first released to the public 
uh, in America, it yeah. was definitely aimed for like a younger male audience. It was like very. This was the quintessential like anime. It's cartoons for cool grownups. Yes, for for like or young adults in Japan. <laughs> Because uh, uh, it was first uh, serialized, the manga, in Young Magazine from 1982-1999. It's really interesting to look at. So we, we've talked a lot about, um, what's it called, Shonen Jump, mm-hmm. uh, right? And that's like for a younger crowd. Correct. We're, you know, Akira, Berserk, um, which I'm enjoying reading at, at this very moment, things like that. They're like a step up, and, and, and they go into um, different magazines like Young Magazine where this is like a little bit older than shonen this is like like grown kid shit that's uh that's something we we've kind of gone into is it's kind of brilliant how in anime I'm sorry in manga uh things aren't really categorized by genre it's it's categorized by age range and gender yeah so like uh the shonen anime is like Dragon Ball Z and Naruto and stuff like that right are, it's very like adventure yeah yeah do it power friendship but then, like, you up the adult content just a little bit, and then you go into, I think it's Seinen territory, and uh-huh. that's, you know, that's where stuff like, yeah, Berserk, uh, a lot of uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah. Um, you can just tackle more themes, and it's just kind of, you know, it's it's more exciting to that to that younger From audience. From what I read, and, you know, we don't need to spend too much time on JoJo's, but from what I read, JoJo started as Shonen and ended up Becoming Seenan. Yes. After a time, which is, that's very interesting to me. But um, yeah, uh, Young Magazine has pictures of pinup girls on the cover. Um, the core readership is has been like kind of uh, eye rollingly dismissed as like a bunch Horny. of bikers and delinquents. And Horny! Which is, which is hilarious to me because like that's what Akira is about. Like these shitty biker kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it reminded me a lot actually of Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. which I, I didn't, I thought that that was going to come up more in uh, my research, but it doesn't say anywhere necessarily that Otomo was uh, inspired by uh, Clockwork, but it really has that same vibe. It's like near future dystopia, gangs of kids kind of owning the streets, you know, and then getting involved in things that are, are bigger than than they are, you know, and getting all kind of fucked up by those things. <laughs> and, 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 and oh man, there's there's just I, well, I I mentioned Otomo, so maybe we should uh, get into like his background and everything. Otomo is the is the mastermind behind Akira, the manga, the film, everything. Um, he's a pretty interesting guy. He was uh, born... You a- say pretty interesting. I say the most rote standard Japanese <laughs> cartoonist I've ever read about. <laughs> you know, differences <laughs> of opinions. I don't know. I- <laughs> Katsuhiro Otomo grew up in a small town and was like, I like drawing things and cool American he movies. He loved to explore the caves around his house. <laughs> He was a quiet nerd that realized that, like, he had a future in storytelling and did it, and it worked. He said, it's a me, it's a Otomo. What? And I believe that that is what inspired Link to go on his videos. Jesus Christ, pictures. you're mixing up your very boring Japanese creative people. <laughs> um, so, anyways, he was obsessed with films. He would take a three-hour train ride uh, during school holidays to go watch movies. Um, he wrote short stories at first, um, but he did end up getting into the manga scene with uh, Fireball, uh, and that is definitely a precursor to... To Akira, Akira. Every time I say Akira, I have to I have to say it in the high pit. <laughs> Akira. Uh, it's a fireball is about a future city secretly handled by a supercomputer called Adam, run by a ruthless female director referred to as Mama. Um, and there are freedom fighters that are trying to fight back against Adam. Um, and then one person has psychic powers, and those psychic powers are wreck unleashed, shit. huh? And it wrecks shit. In erection, and one has no, a psychic- it wrecks shit. Oh, it wrecks shit, yeah. and he has a psychic erection, too. I mean, it's more of a glowing <laughs> ball of psychic energy that, that destroys whatever comes near it, hence the term fireball. <laughs> yes, it's exactly. It's just a sphere of fuck you energy. Exactly. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously that's all. You, you can kind of find all of that in Akira. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he immediately kind of was over it. He said he grew weary of the story after about page 20, and then he moves on to Domu, A Child's Dream, mm-hmm. which runs from 1980 to 1983, and this I want to kind of go back and read. This looks fucking nuts. I read it like a long, long time ago. It must have been while I was in high school and like Dark Horse was reprinting all that shit, Mm -hmm. but it is very similar to Akira, but it's kind of more of a smaller scale story. 
and it takes place more in the present day than any sort of like neo future. So like in an still, apartment complex. Yeah. So there's still like psychic powers and people getting their shit wrecked in yeah. very creative, disgusting ways. <laughs> and of course, two people staring down each other, going ah. It's a, it's an old man and a kid, right? Yeah. Old man and a kid sort of facing off against each other. A um, childlike old man with psychic powers. Fun. I, I want to check. The art looks really cool. Um, you know, obviously it's, you know, uh, it's got that kind of detailed, like, mess. Like, he's really good at creating, like, kind of broken, chaotic sort of spaces, mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, and then he gets into anime with Harmageddon in 1982. That's a uh, sci-fi anime film that he wrote... Um, uh, it was originally a manga, though, that ran in Weekly uh, Shonen Magazine from 1967 to 1981. So he, this is just him doing uh, adaptation. It's set in, hey, guess what? A post-apocalyptic <laughs> world. Should we talk? I mean, all right. Th- this was always kind of, uh, this always kind of blew my mind initially when I first got into anime. I'm like, everything's in a post-apocalyptic world. Japan is a post-apocalyptic society. Exactly. <laughs> Japan is like the only post-apocalyptic society that exists on the planet. They've been been through the shit they had their whole shit blown up and so they're obsessed with it obsessed with it and of course they would be right of well, course they would be there's and, there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's I mean obviously there was World War II and like their the final like humbling of their grandiose emperor based religion mm-hmm. <laughs> but also uh, Japan is like in a, a volcanic island so like there's also earthquakes and tsunamis and volcanoes that also periodically wreck their shit like like th- great destruction and rebuilding is like built into their psychic world and rebuilding is one of the big themes of Akira mm-hmm. um, also I feel like and correct me if I'm wrong here but it just seems like um, uh, Tetsuo's sort of uh, being this like adolescent kid that's just kind of out of control and wily. It almost feels like a metaphor for the way uh, like uh, warring governments are, you know, and and how you have all this power in the hands of this this shithead kid <laughs> is kind of like when you're dealing with a government that's completely out of your control, that's in some spat with some other government that you don't even have I- anything to do with, but There's- your shit is going to get completely wrecked because. I mean, we're we should we'll do analysis in like a hot second. I guess right now is the history part because we could talk forever. Especially because uh, the 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 gap between the details given in the movie, which has to compress Otomo's story, which wasn't even finished uh, when he was making the movie, uh, that compression leaves a lot of information gaps that you are. Fr- Without the manga to, like, fill in, you are free to interpret in a million different ways. Yeah, I mean, this is what I was going to say, and this is, I guess, a good time. We're getting it, We're getting into the Akira manga portion now. Like the world's most fucked up connect the dots picture. I, I was, like, so confused by the film when I first saw it because I saw the film before I read the books, and someone's like, oh, you should totally read. I had a buddy, and they were scarce at the time. I remember that, but I had a buddy who's, like, that guy that has all that stuff. Like, he literally showed up at my door with a, uh, the entire single-issue run of the Max mm-hmm. and just was like, here, read this. All 50 issues or something like that and I just blasted through them. Well, he showed up with all six volumes of Akira, I believe. I think it was my buddy Evan and I devoured it and man, all of the shit that kind of makes no sense in the film mm-hmm. Makes to- it's all fleshed out. The entire story is told in a completely cohesive. I thought I was I was gearing up for a, another kind of abstract two thousand one space odyssey mind shit show, right? And and instead, it's like no, all the, all the dots are connected. Everything's explained. Like the the old wizened Esper children, mm-hmm. like where they came from, how they ended up becoming what they were. You know, Each all of member that stuff. of Kaneda's gang and uh, even the clown gang have like a role to play. Mm-hmm. It's it's. Akira is like an actual person that actually does shit and not just yes whatever he is at the end of the movie. Yeah, he's just I like, guess spoilers. Yeah, we're spo- I mean spoilers. Spoilers guys. for this over 25-year-old movie. So, it was originally serialized as we said before in Young Magazine from 1982 to 1990. Um 
It's uh, it started on June twenty third. Did you say nineteen ninety two? I'm sorry, nineteen eighty two to nineteen ninety. Um, oh, uh, Ghost in the Shell also ran in Young Magazine, mm-hmm. and um, it's collected into six volumes. It's two thousand pages. It's two thousand pages. The movie covers about a thousand pages of the story yeah. when all is said and done. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's two thousand pages of story in the work. The fact that this was even attempted to be condensed, and luckily, at least Otomo made it a point, mm-hmm. especially I believe after working on Harmageddon that. Anime film, uh, uh, he he, you know, just like I feel like every big anime guy has the same story that in the sense that they work on some project initially, learn like, oh fuck, I need to stand up for myself and have mm. c- full creative control over my shit. Yeah. Uh, if if we're gonna make an Akira movie, I have to have absolute control because I worked on this other thing and it was a nightmare. So um, he made it a point to have absolute control over over making the film, um, but still, just the fact that he condensed. That even tried to do it. Well, here, here's the thing. Here's uh, this is what was most fascinating uh, to me about the production and making of Akira the movie is Japan in the 1980s was going through a juggernaut of economic growth. They were, you know, they were the bad guys in every Michael Crichton book. They mm-hmm. were like, you know, this was this was the peak of like the Red Sun Empire, fucking Sony Walkman. Just, you know, uh, Toyota cars, like this economic boom, unlike the world had ever seen for a a nation that had been destroyed. It is not a uh, a coincidence that Akira takes place 30 years after uh, the 1988, whereas like 30 years during the 80s, 30 years ago was post-war Japan. And we should state that, you know, uh, Akira takes place like... On a sort of a new Tokyo, like a new Neo Tokyo. Um, yeah, it's literally called Neo Tokyo. It's about to explode. <laughs> and there and, is, according to the old post, and uh, there is like a, a broken down, old, destroyed Tokyo right nearby. Um, uh, and also the. Neo Tokyo has experienced this insane amount of growth as well and uh, actually that's a plot point about Akira is that Akira sort of these like children with with psychic powers are kind of the reason why the economic growth has been um, you know so insane and everything in within the story um, that's actually I didn't know that that has to be a manga thing uh, yeah I, they kind of mention it in but I believe like I read it I, I went back and like read everything in the yeah but I mean Akira again Akira sort of is personified by the end of the film even though like when they find what does it say it's like it's just a bunch of tubes in or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they just find a bunch of tubes with like Akira's old like body parts in them essentially biopsies and medical samples yeah yeah like um, in the manga Akira is just Akira like Akira arrives like halfway through the manga mm-hmm. um, or even before that I think maybe in book two like that's just to give you a sign a sign of like how drastically different the books are to the film yeah. because like it's like it goes like a full it goes way beyond what happens in the events in the film there's so much more shit so many more plot points in the books so in japan in the 1980s they have a bunch of money they're killing it economically and uh they want to kind of like push the boundaries culturally yeah you know uh there's a lot of uh, any country any first world country has a lot of pride in their nation and wants to be at the forefront of the conversation and um there has been there at this point in the 1980s. There have been a lot of advances in anime. Uh, Studio Ghibli was getting off the ground. Uh, uh, a lot of like high end sci fi, like you know, we we've talked about series like Gundam and Macross. And uh, at the at the height of uh, of an anime show, there's a, a thing called Sakuga, which is the high end animation. Whenever like you're watching a normal anime TV show, and then there's like one fucking cool ass scene out of nowhere where like mm. the frame rate goes up and the camera starts going crazy and there's all these special effects that's usually called sakuga and that's where that's expensive to make that takes uh talented animators and colorists and like photographers all working in unison all going over the same footage multiple times um and uh they like the the akira committee that was brought together yeah. to make this movie uh Wanted to push the boundaries of what anime could do. They wanted to show that, like, Japan's animation industry can overshadow stuff that was coming, especially, like, stuff like Disney out of America. And uh, 
The problem is no one had ever sunk that much money to actually do all the cool shit that in normal anime only happened in like a select burst of money. But this instead is for an entire two-hour film, and uh, I want to. There jump- was oh, but uh, there, was, there was no other choice mm. but to pick Akira because it was an immensely popular sci-fi manga. Like Akira was incredible. Like uh, uh, Young Jump magazine was a popular magazine, and uh, Akira, which had been running for a few years at that point, was "quote unquote" the coolest uh, sci-fi property. So it, it's like The Walking Dead. Like any, like think of any indie comics hit that has like cachet with nerds. Like if they were going to spend this money on a project, they were going to adapt one of the most popular sci-fi mangas of that era, and that was that was Otomo's Akira. Absolutely, absolutely, and it was even. Um yeah, it was. Uh, it didn't even make it what to the U.S. until I think like '98. Um, what's interesting to me is that you know it's in the cyberpunk genre, the manga and and the movie as well. Um, but uh, Otomo was had wasn't even aware of of the novel Neuromancer. Um, he, he said his influences were uh, Star Wars, um, the comics of Mobius crossover because mm-hmm. Mobius keeps coming up time and time again. I have to go back and like look at this guy's stuff more i guess maybe is it just illustration no did he, he, do, he he's he was a, a, a french artist right he french was artist? a french comics artist that did a lot of very ornate uh complicated sci-fi illustration he also yeah he also was an inspiration for uh alien, for the alien franchise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the big one is tetsujin 28 go which is a manga centered around a young boy named shotaro kaneda which uh, is kaneda's full name in the in the movie controlled by a giant robot named tetsujin 28 Tetsuo. Tetsuo. Also, the numbers on the children's hands. Akira uh, is number 28. Number 28, right? Um, And this was actually the first humanoid giant robot in in like a... It's the precursor to mecha anime. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you... And if you've never heard of Tetsujin 28, you might have heard of Gigantor, (laughs) which was the anime my dad watched in black and white. What? It's true. It was one of the first animes brought over to America. Also, your dad watched anime. I mean, it's this was this is pre Speed Racer. Like the origin of it didn't matter. Um, so uh, you mentioned this briefly before, and I guess we're kind of moving into f- the f- territory of the film. Um, all I really mainly just want to fo- say with the uh, with the manga is get it, read it. It's fucking amazing. It's two thousand pages, but it flies by. <laughs> Fly- and a lot of Tomo uses a are, lot of splash pages. Yes, big sweeping animations um, of stuff getting blowed up, uh, and that that's it's it's really. I can't believe how quickly I moved through that manga. It was un, it just has a flow to it that is amazing. And again, the storytelling's great and cohesive and really just explains everything. Like if you ever wanted to actually know what the story of Akira was a- about after watching the film, because you probably don't know by just watching the movie. Like I and I was kind of even remembering some things from the manga and explaining those things to Lexi even being like, "Oh yeah, that like these guys are this and blah blah There's blah." There's a lot of characters that will show up randomly in the movie like the uh, Shinto priestess lady that in a oh, lot of dubs man. they dub her over as a man because they just did not understand <laughs> that this old wrinkly gremlin person was female. Man, when she when she falls off the uh, bridge to her death, <laughs> like Lex and I both laughed out loud, the and then funny. I felt really fucked up about it, like really fucked up about that. Like, no, there's tons of comedy in this movie. Kaneda is like an affable hero. He is ridiculous. Yeah, He's such a fucking prick. That's <laughs> so much of the movie is like all these epic, like uh, you know, societal things happening with like uh, students and unemployed workers, like riding mm-hmm. in the streets and a corrupt government falling apart at the seams, and like the military and their role in ci- in civil society and you know economics and demographics and all this shit is happening. But at its core, it's just these two teenage boys that just like are fucking. Rivals and like just settling beefs with each other. Yep, absolutely. And that's the manga and the film. Now, you mentioned the Akira committee, and I, I have to go back and focus on oh, this yeah. for a second because it's incredible. All of these different studios came together because there was no way that they could do it without everybody throwing down the money and all getting together to support the film. It was, um, I have, I have the list right here. You have it's, the list. Uh, 
Kodansha, which is a, a big publishing company in Japan, uh, the Mayanichi Broadcasting System, which is a television broadcasting system, Bandai, the toy company, the Toho company, the film company, the Laserdisc Corporation, yeah. because they knew they needed a flashy, cool movie to like showcase their badass, uh, giant, unwieldy platter that technology. That makes so much sense for Laserdisc. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, uh, Tokyo Movie Shinsha, uh, Sumimoto Corporation, and uh, Hakuhodo Incorporated. A lot of these companies sank because uh -huh. the movie was so expensive. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of these companies have been, like, bought and sold and rebought and are not the original companies that uh, actually funded the film. The movie cost 1 billion yen. Uh, yeah, which is, which is 10 million dollars. 10 million, 1988 dollars. Yeah, which in, is. In today's money, that's like 21 million dollars. And if you want to get real depressed, uh, the Emoji Movie cost $50 million to make. <laughs> so think about think about that weird mind blower is that like 70 animators at the height of their power showcasing the most advanced possible techniques of the analog hand-drawn animation movement of the time cost $20 million. And like the fucking C-Squad at Sony CGI department cost $60 million. So now what we mean by kind of doing those full animations uh, is that like in, in, in a lot of, and you can still see it today, but in a lot of anime at the time or most all anime at the time, uh, you know, uh, anime is all about being equitable. It's about like cutting certain efficient. corners, being efficient, being able to, you the know. The turnaround time is lightning fast. A lot of the major shonen series will turn around episodes within a week I'll, and if you've ever seen that, like, think about that South Park documentary we all watched about how much of a fucking nightmare it is to animate a new show every week on the clock. Yes. That's what every anime does, like, all the time. Yes. Yeah. And, and... Which which is completely insane, especially considering like everything was hand drawn back in the day. Mm -hmm. There was very little hand drawn, hand photographed, mm -hmm. hand colored, mm -hmm. hand colored, hand colored. The uh, this this was one of the facts that blew my mind is uh, the uh, the movie Akira. Because you, so many shots were done at night, yes, uh, they had to invent new colors. Fifty colors were <laughs> exclusively created for the film. The film used three hundred and twenty custom colors were mixed for the night scenes. Whereas, I guess, like as opposed to off-the-shelf art supplies that you can usually use in the animation. Three hundred and twenty-seven different colors were used. Now, most animators avoid setting anything at night mm -hmm. because of all the extra colors and and uh, that it necessitates. So just lighting, just capturing lighting is so hard like on a frame by frame basis. Half the fucking, almost the entire movie set at night. Not only set at <laughs> night, but half, like more than half the movie has some kind of crazy lighting technique. There's like a weird like motif or theme in the movie about like spotlights and neon lights yeah. and power and like glowing and and that's lasers. and that's, and that stuff still works. That stuff is really effective. I think. Yeah, I, I, it looks phenomenal all, all like I really you know it could there's definitely a lot of shit in it that dates itself back to the 80s it feels like an 80s anime but at the same time there's just there's stuff in it that is still incredibly impressive to look at um just and and again like we're talking about uh, as an example like static faces with just just the mouth moving oh, is uh, kind lip of the flaps the is, word in the animation industry is lip flaps so that's like the technique that was being used at the time well this was like a, a, Everything was. They pre-recorded the dialogue. Fluid motion. They pre-recorded the dialogue for the very first time um, in for, an anime. For, for anime, yeah, yeah. Whereas you know, Western cartoons and everything like that was that was kind of the norm, especially for like you know Disney or something like that. Um, they had a, a fluid motion in over one hundred sixty thousand animation cells. There were two thousand two hundred twelve shots. That's two to three times more than normal um, with all these with all these flashy colors and everything. Thing. The Otomo, Otomo has claimed to have filled 2,000 pages of notebooks containing various ideas for character designs. The storyboards alone are basically an original 600-panel comic that yeah. he drew for this movie. 738 pages. And Jesus. that was, and that was, uh, yeah, that they were, they regarded that as trimmed down. So <laughs> you could only imagine how crazy that was before. One of my favorite things about this. Now you mentioned the anime actually came out before the manga was finished. Mm -hmm. It's like some Game of Thrones ass shit. <laughs> like it's really that that would be mind blowing to me to be like, holy fuck, I'm gonna, I've been reading this manga like issue by issue, and I'm, I'm gonna go find out how it ends today, like in in two hours, you know. Um, and he had a hard time. Awesome, Megan just popped. 
popped up uh, Super producer Megan Popped up uh, a storyboard We're looking at right now um, And again yeah It is a full um, It's it's like a full comic Man his his drawings are so cool I, I, I love his illustration It's a very unique style It has like weight to it It's definitely different Than like the standard anime pretty style And uh because everything has like weight and substance to it, because these like square jawed people are like feels like they're inhabiting real space, uh, when their guts go flying out of their own yeah. skin, it fucking terrifies. Uh, me. When his hand starts, <laughs> they just showed the uh, when his hand starts freaking out. There's just something deeply psychologically troubling about the loss of control that Tetsuo goes through. Like the moment, like going back to the moment when the guts fall out, and then when when the the, the like circuitry starts taking over his hand, and then his whole shit just he's trying to hide it there's yeah. something like very anxiety dream oh, about that yeah <laughs> understatement of the century the, okay 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 Let, let's go okay wait are we, um just so troubling and 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 the moment especially the moment if we're gonna talk about that loss of control the moment where he tr- he tries to embrace his girlfriend Tetsuo does. Oh, and, Kaori gets the shaft harder than any her, anime character in the history of everything. You just see her turn into a blood spray, and he's just trying to like help her. He's trying not to hurt her, and all he can do is destroy her. That that lo- that is deeply troubling, deeply deeply troubling moment. I think that's the moment in now the film. Now this is before the giant teddy bear starts oozing jizz out of every orifice, right? <laughs> no, that's I think I'm talking about like at the end when he turns into that baby monster. Oh right, of when he guts. turns into the baby monster the, gut, guts, yeah. the guts baby monster and and then he 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 just explodes his girlfriend trying to love her and take uh, care of her it's incredibly it. troubling and 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 the women in this movie are treated like absolute garbage i don't know what atomo's deal is with the women oh yeah that is awesome looking and horrifying which is like someone had to draw that fucking ugh. pulsating mass of ugh. fucking shit Hey, it's your bruiser, Holden McNeely, and I'm here to tell you about Mac Weldon. You ever want to walk around in silver underwear so you can feel like a motherfucking superhero? Of course you do. Well, Mack Weldon has a line of silver underwear and shirts that are made with real silver woven into the garment using technology that was developed by NASA. How cool is that? The fabric is antimicrobial, which means it eliminates odor. This just goes to show that Mack Weldon puts a ton of thought into their products to ensure you're as comfortable as a hobbit in the Shire. And the website is very simple and easy to use. I just put my order in a minute ago. I hate clothes shopping. And actually enjoyed myself for once. And you can use the promo code WIZARD to get 20% off your purchase. Again, that promo code is WIZARD to get 20% off. Shop Mac Weldon today. Uh, oh, this is a weird side note. Uh, Otomo's art assistant, which is a very like important role in the creation of manga, was uh, Satoshi Kon, mm. who ended up creating... Uh, Perfect Blue and Paprika and all awesome. these amazing anime films of his own. I love Paprika. We're going to do a Satoshi Kone episode. For sure. I need to check out to. Perfect Paranoid Blue. Paranoia Agent, all those. Um, oh, but uh, I just want to talk, uh, going back to, I know we've like keep jumping around, but going back to the ending thing, it's, uh, from what I read, uh, apparently he didn't know how to end it and he ended up having a long conversation. The manga. This is the manga he had. The trouble. manga slash film because yeah. at that point he's like, well, I have to end this movie mm-hmm. like and also therefore end the manga. Right, so how do I do that? And apparently, he sat down with director Alejandro <laughs> Jordorowski, the guy who fucking made Holy Mountain and like El all these Topo and all that shit, all that crazy shit. If you haven't seen Holy Mountain, watch the shit out of Holy Mountain. That guy, this guy, is fascinating. And the fact that he he and the writer director of fucking Akira had it just a, I, to be a fly on the wall in that fucking in that room, man, to sit down with those two people having a conversation yeah. about plot points. Fuck. Uh, okay, so for the rest of the episode, this is what I feel like we got to do. We got to do, uh, let's get into the movie, all the cool shit, all the themes, all the characters we loved, like just what makes this such like a a, a landmark sticky mindfuck. Yeah. And uh, landmark sticky mindfuck is the name of my LLC when I need to <laughs> offshore my taxes. Uh, but, uh, and then we can go into what uh, Akira meant for the American anime fandom. Sure. Afterwards. Like, sure. Uh and then we have to talk about that soundtrack. Oh, oh my God. With or without the hyperson- uh, the ultrasonic track. <laughs> yeah. Because that's some bullshit I couldn't wrap my head around. <laughs> so, uh, number one, number one cool thing about Akira is that it's 
fucking neon lights and cities and exp- and everything that can just get destroyed gets destroyed. From the get-go, right when the movie starts, it has some of the coolest fucking, like, um, uh, otherworldly, like, bike, biker action scenes. Oh, the, the fucking bike scene. Let's are, just talk about the bike scene. It's f- awesome, man. Like, the, the way that that is shot is so, it is just so alive. The movement, it's so fucking just kinetic. It's so cool, man. The camera is, okay, so uh, we're introduced to the main characters, uh, Kaneda and Tetsuo and uh, they're the lower the the rest of the biker gang which has more of a role in the manga there's yeah. uh, Kanagawa mm-hmm. and Kai Kai has the tie Kanagawa tall like a tower that's how I remembered their names <laughs> I'm full of caffeine and I love anime. Don't hold me back. I am deliriously hungover and I, this this fever dream of a film is the perfect place to be living in right now uh, for me personally. And they have to track down their enemy biker gang, the clowns. The clowns, yeah. The, and Which I, is like, that's so fucking anime. And it's so fucking Clockwork Orange too, by the way. Like all of the costuming and everything. I, I, I Again, I'm kind of shocked like I didn't read the words Clockwork Orange anywhere. Mm. Um, well, yeah, for him, he sta- uh, uh, he stated it was like Star Wars and shit. Like, uh, yeah, we already went over his influences, but I, I'm just like, how did you get from Star Wars to this insane shit show without like Blade Runner or like, you know. Uh, there's there like whenever there's like a time of unrest or like tension, maybe this applies to our current day and age. I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe there's a maybe, problem. Maybe there's economic anxiety and a government more concerned with covering up its own mistakes than helping the people who are to protect I don't know they're just white supremacists Jake let them let them march why does everyone who disagrees with you and gives the Hitler salute automatically a Nazi hold them (laughs) you sicken me let's get back we can't (laughs) we can't with it I'm interested Um, to see what kind of films come out in the next couple years is all I will say Uh, but the idea that like the alienated youth that grows up in this turmoil has no frame of reference to anything else and so like what the adults see is like this tenuous like uh, a nightmare of of instability, they just grow up and fucking thrive and just hang out and try and get laid and form motorcycle gangs. Uh, what what is the relevance of the Olympics being held uh, in Tokyo? Like, is there a reason for that? It's that's always in the background. Oh, also by the way, the Olympics are are being held here like this year, and there's like a stadium built, and obviously that stadium comes into play in a giant way by the end of the. Oh, the you know that's where yeah. Akira's held. Spoiler. But you know, yeah, Tokyo yeah. actually is hosting the Olympics in 2020, just like in Akira, which is amazing. But it represents like uh, Japan's place in the world as like uh, a, a yet another nation, as a respected like peer, where it's again in World War II, it was the rightful heirs of the universe, and then the fucking most defeated people ever. And kind of like uh, having the Olympics kind of is about reclaiming this cosmopolitan uh, globalist stance. So you've got these characters, you've got this cool action scene. We bump into... Um, a, a clown s- gets hit in the fucking face yeah. with a spiky lead pipe. Real hard. The way they just like j- jump onto the bikes and <laughs> kick people in the face and there's like... The yeah. road lights are blowing past you at like 24 frames per second. It's scary looking. It's like it just feels unsafe as fuck. You the know, lights just, of you the know. taillights and the sparks from the weapons and Akira's fucking electric powered... Mega Drive Red Motors uh, Canada. I said Akira, didn't I? Can Either way, whatever. It's uh, fine. That, they know that motorcycle is so impractical. I've seen people try and rebuild it, and like it is so I saw, low to the ground. I saw Otomo sitting on a uh, a yeah. build of it. Yeah, it's, uh, the fucking sideways Akira slide that everyone points to. That shot of Canada kind of like stopping his motorcycle with the electric sparks coming off the front wheel. That's been like re- every animator's dream is to recreate that shot. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And, oh, so cool. and of course, while this is happening, the soundtrack is going. I, this, I mean, if we're talking about the motorcycle scene, we have we to gotta talk-, talk about this soundtrack. All right. So this soundtrack is created by a group of people uh, called uh, the Yamashiro Gumi. Yamashiro Gumi. Um, it is a musical collective founded on January 1974 by Tsutomu Ohashi. It is consists of hundreds of people. You said that your friend like drunkenly screamed to you about how like uh, you can't recreate the music, right? Is, isn't that what the, you said? The, the way this collective works and the way that the uh, the sound uh, in the movie uh, they credit uh, I forgot the guy's real name but something Yamashiro is his like stage name that's why it's the Yamashiro group um, 
that like he inserted ultrasonic signals that like home uh home and audio entered uh, home audio speakers can't replicate because he believed that even though you couldn't hear the frequencies, it would affect your mindset as you listen to it. <laughs> he, they he, used like uh, all, they, they yeah. did crazy shit. Like um, they they got, they would get they got synthesizers and then were uh, uh, dissatisfied with with them in a certain way. So they learned programming <laughs> so that they could program the synthesizers to play sounds they weren't made to play, which is fucking insane. Well, with a full like dozen orchestra of people using like uh, in. Indonesian bamboo xylophones mm-hmm. and Japanese flutes and like they were just combining all this Asian folk music with cutting edge synthesizer music and apparently and not only that uh, you know Otomo tapped uh, this group because he liked uh, their cool album that they had released right before the movie went into production and they spent six months making it without having any idea of what the movie was had about. no idea I mean I guess at least they had the manga to draw some inspiration yeah. from but yeah um uh, they, they, you know, they, the soundtrack was built on the concept of modules or reoccurring themes. The synthesizers used were the Roland D50 and Yamaha DX72. Um, there's also European classical and progressive rock in there. There's Japanese theater. Uh, so all this influence music. smushing together into a single like uh, a col- like random collective of people. We're talking journalists, doctors, engineers. There were all people from just all over the world from from all who were just obsessed with. Like experimenting and mixing and kind of like hitting the primal, like it's it's basically a hippie commune of musicians, and the end result is is this fucking amazing sound. Pump it up, blast it. So like while this like tribal trippy music is playing, there's a motorcycle gang beating the shit out of each it's other on the road. It's very intense, incredibly intense. Just the driving fucking uh, uh, rhythm of of this of this sound. It's it's pretty incredible, and 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 it it's it's all throughout the film. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, Otomo uh, heard they they put out an album, and by the way, apparently like one of the things about this, like they don't really get a lot of credit where the credit is due. Like not enough people know about this collective. So uh, I would hope people go check it out. He got, uh, Otomo decided to hire them for the soundtrack after hearing the album uh, Ecophony Rin. Uh, Ecophony Rin is the name. Is the name that, that's when they kind of decided to start experimenting with computer-generated sounds. And I want to go back. I actually haven't uh, sat down and listened to it, but I plan to. I really want to kind of dig more into these guys. Like, it is really fascinating the stuff. The Kaneda's theme is, like, real, co- is real good to work to because it has that, like, driving rhythm and, like, that, like, ha, ha, ha kind of energy but then when it gets to like Tetsuo's theme and it's just like it's like terrifying that shit is phenomenal like when that fucking shit kicks in and you know everything's just about to go to hell it is perfect oh my god so uh the sound in this in this film in general is great like the way you know when i talked about like earlier i feel like that's such an anime uh, trick now, like cutting all of the sound out and showing you something really disturbing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like um, that trend started here. So Tetsuo uh, gets magic powers. <laughs> Tetsuo is the big foreheaded. Let's talk about the. Well, you gotta. You can't talk about Tetsuo's powers without talking about the uh, old people children. There's three old people children. <laughs> There's uh, Takeshi, the uh, one that was uh, the one we first see. He's like kind of the shy boy. He's kind of you know the good the good kid. Uh, also a lime green old man. Mm-hmm. And Tetsuo runs into him in his bike. Um, and this is kind of the moment when, I guess, what by uh, just interacting with him in that way, he ends up getting the powers. But they even mention that everybody has the powers in them. It's just wh- whether or not they get awakened within them. So these powers, everyone has them inherently. So, um, so which is, I feel like, another like sort of weird uh, going through puberty thing or whatever. But uh, That's actually really interesting. I'd... Um there's a lot of like medical horror and body horror. Uh, lots of of a lot of te- a lot of Tetsuo's screen time is about him going like being scanned and injected and medicated. And mm-hmm. uh, there's the, the themes of like this big rush for new technology. Obviously, w- what Japan was going through at the time, but I feel like everybody was kind of in the '80s obsessed with the future, with um, of evolution of technology, evolution of biology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Yeah, and then you also have this weird like satirization of the school system and everything, and the ba- that weird bad kid school where like no one's paying attention it's a, yeah. and it's chaos. Uh, that's kind of a shit show. Again, Discipline, smack. <laughs> um, yeah, and and uh, and then and then you have a fucking the terrorist Just, counter. Oh yeah, yeah. Organization, and I feel like that mm-hmm. or the little kid, old people, and like the terrorist group, like led by the guy that's on the council, the like Nezu. Oh, that fucked me up as a kid. Yeah, uh, the fucking the rat man. Yeah, the like in the middle of this like cool action anime. Where there's also some fucked up shit. You also get to watch an old man slowly die of a heart attack in graphic detail. <laughs> and I feel like while the man he shot is like slowly crawling yes. towards him, bleeding. I feel like that stuff and the and the the Esper, the wise and Espers, the kid of old people. That stuff is really way more fleshed out in the manga. I feel mm-hmm. like um, you know because I was kind of like I talked with Lexi after we were done about like what were the confusing parts, what was the stuff that like didn't really come through clearly that you had to kind of connect the dots yourself on and definitely that was the bigger stuff right and I'm just like all this shit I forgot completely until I went back through that Akira is just like a character in the fucking book for like most of the book like which is kind of nuts I mean he sort of comes into play later but it's also uh, there's uh, in in Japanese it's Akira is a uh, first name you know it's not a family name and it's a fairly common one so Uh. There's a lot of like uh, it's a big creative decision. The fact that Akira, this very simple name, is like given all this importance and like all this rev up. It, in the original Japanese, it would be like Jeffrey is coming. You must stop Jeffrey. I want to know what the secret of Jeffrey is. Like it's a very innocuous name that is given all this weight and gravity and terror. And so, of course, uh, so Akira is is. Largely non-existent in the film, but he is sort of locked away in a vault underground, um, and something went. You just know something went horribly awry with him, and I guess he was the reason why Tokyo uh, in the movie blowed up. Yeah, that it's it's suggested that Akira something happened with Akira, and that's why. World War Three started and all of Tokyo was enveloped in a black explosion of nothing. Well, and like spoiler alert about the manga, uh, like halfway through the manga, Akira essentially causes another <laughs> fucking nuclear devastation. Is sort essentially like he gets emotionally what what hit, uh, one of his companions gets shot and he freaks out and fucking blows up Tokyo again essentially. And it's like what? And that's like literally halfway through. And that is one of the more stunning moments in the manga. The 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 imagery there for that whole series I was just like mind blown it was page after page of just like Tokyo just being completely fucking destroyed and it really that really really um, sinks in how just how affected how intense that must have been during World War II Um, well the um, there's there's the other weird thing is that like the um I feel like the core lesson that we're going into analysis at this point, but the lesson of Akira or like a lot of the major themes is all this destruction, uh, Tokyo through the character of the Colonel and through a lot of like information that is kind of like subtly passed through is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of like economic inequality. There's a lot of people kind of forgotten by the major society, even though Neo Tokyo has like lots of shopping centers and fountains and fancy hotels and like nice apartments. There's like this entire underbelly of people that are kind of forgotten and are being suppressed by the government. The government itself, again, uh, when dealing with Nezu and uh, the colonel, is like seen as corrupt and shifty and like uh, always trying to pass off the blame. And the idea that like, through the youth, through some kind of untapped power, uh, they can just bring it all down and just let the youth rebuild on their own terms is actually a good thing. Mm. Like, uh, you know, the the manga ends with, like, the new Akira Empire or something. Uh, you know, it's, it's yeah. it ends on a hopeful note that even though things have been destroyed, finally these, like, wayward youths have a purpose again. It gets really crazy, though, too, because the, the youths are, like, warring each other by the end. Like, mm. Tetsuo leads an organization on one side and then Kaneda and um, with, I think, with Akira as the, like, mascot for his for his war. And then you've got Akira uh, or uh, Kaneda and Kei and, and all, the, all those. Yeah. 
folks on the with the child Esper, uh, wizened Espers on the other end, and they're all like battling it out. I mean, it just goes completely in different territory and in, in new territory in the manga. But yeah, it's it really um, they flesh out all all of those conflicts so much between between these these like disturbed youths. And um, yo, remember when Tetsuo's in that hallway and like the little like orderlies are like, "Hey, man, we gotta go back to your room," and he goes like, "Blah," and he just explodes them like pineapples. Yeah. Yes. And then, like, the energy forms a perfect <sighs> sphere around him. Yeah, And it's totally. fucking terrifying, and it all happens at 24 frames per second. <laughs> That's what I remember about that. But fuck the economic politics. <laughs> People pop like goddamn water People balloons. People fucking pop. Pop. All because you had to try to figure out the secrets of the universe, <laughs> government. Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> uh, remember uh, when in the middle of that... Uh, of that uh, Olympic stadium during the final showdown, the colonel is like, oh, by the way, we have a giant space laser. Yeah, and then and all of a sudden just like, yeah, huge space lasers start getting shot down, and then he, and then, um, you know, Tetsuo takes control of the space lasers and starts fucking terrorizing all of Tokyo and, like, the planet. Oh, and he goes into space. Yeah. There's that whole part where he flies into space to take over the giant satellite lasers, and it's like, what? We're in space now? Okay, that's kind of the moment. Every time you think there's a limit to Tetsuo's power, mm-hmm. he does something to, like, up the ante. He's yeah. like he's like a Dragon Ball Z villain in, like, put into a two-hour period. Like, he's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. he evolves. Like, you're like, okay, but they can probably handle that. Because, you know, they have the powers or whatever. And then, no. And then, yeah, um, then the giant teddy bear sequence, which is all really crazy with the goo <sighs> shooting out of it. Goo. So much goo. So much goo shooting out of those teddy bears. And, of course, that's the little kid's uh, weird, like, weapon w- kind of that they're – that stuff is so bizarre. That's I forgot all about the giant teddy bear shit. Yeah, yeah. That shit is fucking very strange. And then, and just the way – it's just so trippy. Just the way, like, they combine all the different, like, pieces – like, uh, teddy bears and stuff to create the giant one and everything. Like Again, uh, all really – this is all stuff that's really hard to animate. Yeah, this really all, difficult. Um. What's actually amazing is every time uh, someone brings up the idea of a live action remake of this movie, yeah, uh, eventually the reality sets in that like, oh, it costs twenty million two thousand eight dollars to like have a team of seventy incredibly talented animators create this imagery, create this world. To yeah. have an actual live action CGI version of this imagery would be cutting edge bullshit that would make Avatar look like a fucking student film. I like had to laugh. We were watching the movie and Lexi turns to me and is like, this would be great live action. You should <laughs> you should write it. And I was like, all right, well, Warner Brothers acquires the rights for a live action remake in 2002. Um, they go through many attempts to do this with different people, George Miller, Christopher Nolan. On uh, the 8th of June, 20. 2015, the Hollywood Reporter has reported that the studio has resumed work on the film. Um, uh, Jordan Peele was recently offered uh, the the job of director, and after, he turned it down. And he turned it down, which was very Martin. smart. He uh, after the success of Get Out, um, they offered it to him, which uh, which is interesting to me because uh, the Get Out is like the the most successful like low ass budget yeah. movie. So here's. Uh, Hollywood's been doing that a lot lately. Is like, hey, you made a movie under budget. Here, handle this big uh, giant nightmare project. Um, and then with in mixed results, I'm looking at you, fan four stick. <laughs> in uh, January 2016, Katsuhiro Otomo has revealed in a, a French comic festival that an anime television series is being considered. Now, I think that might be a really good idea for to really flesh out the manga. I think that would be actually quite interesting and, and a really good project for them. But I just I had to laugh when like I said that because you ha- you have to understand. How many screenwriters, how many drafts of the live action Akira are floating around in Hollywood? It is like one of the probably the biggest like um, white thing. whales. Yeah. The, of, of And, and uh, like I, I want to say at least 20, 50 writers. It's passed through, you know, different drafts, different versions of a live action. Like I think like the last thing I want to do is show up to Hollywood with a co- with a draft of a live action Akira. I don't think that's going to get <laughs> anywhere. Don't worry. I wrote an Akira adaptation on spec. Take my meetings. Uh, so we've gone into just how much of a mindfuck this movie is. We've gone into all the imagery, the technical prowess of the movie, uh, and what it meant in its context in Japan. But its context in America, what Akira meant to the American anime fandom, 
is a whole nother beast. So, like, there wasn't, and maybe you can explain this to me better, like, there really wasn't a lot of, was there a lot of anime fandom at this time? I mean, what? There was, like, a hardcore, uh, you know, f- uh, fan sub, VHS tape, uh, Macross, and there was Gundam. A lot, there was a lot of schlock out there, too, right? Tons of schlock. There was a lot of really bad, like, 80s anime, right? Yeah, yeah, Samurai Pizza Cats and shit like that. It's all, um... <laughs> The idea of anime as just these cheap cartoons imported by Saban and poorly dubbed uh, was the prevalent understanding of anime. And if you kind of like were a, if you were a nerd about it, if you were like, basically if you were already a Japanophile, like a weird white person that owns a kimono, you like cared about anime. Uh, But the 90s boom was kind of ticked off with Akira because the production values were just so high. Like you couldn't ignore it. You couldn't disregard it as a... um, as just kind of kid stuff. Uh, if you grew up in the 90s and like watched basic cable, this commercial you'd see every night. I want to, like, we have to play this. This yeah. encapsulates what Akira meant to the 90s anime boom, like, so succinctly. This is the commercial that would air like every five minutes on like Comedy Central and Sci Fi Channel. Morning. The following offer is for mature audiences. Mature only. offer. Exciting. Mysterious. We're Intense. offering you this fucked ass shit. <laughs> Look at these raw animes about this people's no brains getting fucked. Animation. This is the exotic, bizarre, and beautiful world <laughs> of Japanese anime. And this is your invitation to enter with the modern classic Akira. Critics say Akira makes Blade Runner look like Disney World. It's action-packed, the future of animation. Siskel and Ebert call it the video pick of the week. Akira is yours for only $4.95 with subscription when you order the best of Japanese animation collection. The fucking series. 90s techno with music. Yeah. sci-fi classics, you will enter a world beyond the just, And it's just, a, it's just people's heads exploding. Yeah, just people, yeah. Just you a million shots forget. of people's heads exploding. Don't say we didn't warn you. Call <laughs> 1-800-414-4040. Hilarious. Orion Home Video. Oh, hilarious. So, yeah, um, apparently George Lucas and Steven Spielberg labeled the film unmarketable in the U.S., and that's how it actually apparently is how it ended up in the hands of Streamline Pictures. Um, they were uh, one of the first North American companies that were created primarily to translate anime uncut and faithful to the original product. Now, you got to explain to me what's going on with the dubs and the subs here and everything. So, the uh, part... Part of the part of the appeal of uh, of Akira is that it it was this visual masterpiece, and they had a dub ready to go. Um, so uh, they used a lot of voice talent. Uh, it's actually kind of ironic because uh, we talked about how in Japan they used pre-recorded dialogue for the first time because they wanted those like realistic mouth movements and that naturalistic feel. But b- the way dubs worked back then is that they had to like abbreviate the way that they talked over the animation so that it matched the mouth movements on screen. So when you think of a bad dub, it's always like, you can't do this! <laughs> like, it's that very like awkward. And this is kind of a bog standard uh, rote uh, dub. It's kind of like, if you're, if you're a purist, it's actually kind of underwhelming. But uh, they got, uh, specifically, the most standout uh, thing about the the original English dub is Cam Clark, Kukuka crossover, who was the voice of Leonardo in the '80s Ninja <laughs> Turtles, uh, was the voice of Canada, and so like, and like throughout the film, like they, they'll say his name is Canada. Like the, during like big moments, will be like Tetsuo, and then like he'll be like Canada, Canada. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is what it sounded like. Since we were kids, you always treat me like a kid. You always show oh, up this and is... start bossing me around, and don't you deny it? Now you're king of this the mountain, aren't you? But it's all garbage. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> okay, let's settle this once and for all. For <laughs> all. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, yeah. That voice. That voice that you associate with 90s anime protagonists. No, it's all garbage. That's all. Uh, that clip is actually a little bit confusing because uh, the voice of Tetsuo in that was from the uh, the new Pioneer dub. It was hard to find uncut uh, dialogue. I, uh, I believe I saw that's the version I saw. And even yeah. that dub, because uh, I watched, by the way, it's on Hulu, um, dub and subbed versions, uh, both uh, for free on Hulu. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I, even that dub has some issues. I feel like you know uh, the kid, especially one of the kids. One of the kids was really flat. One of the old <laughs> old person children was like really w- just sounded weird. You know, just sounded like so phoning it in. Um, and uh, yeah, it just seems like there was a different standard back then for voiceover in animation. Yeah, uh, in the. Uh I forgot the name of the guy that plays Tetsuo in the in the newer. I think it's like two thousand one era pioneer dub. Uh, but he was the guy that played uh, Ty from Digimon. That's all I remember. <laughs> uh, and Johnny Youngbosch, who was uh, Adam, the Black Power Ranger. Yes. Uh, who almost punched me one time I was working an anime convention and was shit talking him behind his back. <laughs> what? I mean, it's fine. What happened? He was a professional. <laughs> what happened? What were you saying? Uh, we had a booth. I I, I, I perform with a, a group called the Geek Comedy Tour and we do shows at anime conventions and our, our, our table in the vendor's room was next to Johnny Youngbosch and uh, uh, I was just making fun of how he was not the real Black Power Ranger in my heart <laughs> and he was directly behind me. <laughs> <laughs> And he was very cordial. Oh, my he's a, God. He's an A-plus professional. He also played Vashla <laughs> Stampede. He's been in a lot of anime. He's he's served his role. He, he He's a respectable respectable guy in the anime. <laughs> Please don't kick my face, Johnny Youngbosch. Uh, um, so, yeah, so this really kind of blew the doors off of North American audiences, would you say? I mean, would the, this kind yeah. of ushered in the, the you new couldn't, It couldn't be denied. You Like, it was, uh, especially a lot of... We talk about this a lot in the 90s, like the idea of your childlike uh, hobby being seen as real and adult and mature was yeah. a very important thing for fans back then. And this is more on video, right? I mean, this yeah. wasn't a big, it wasn't a big theatrical No, release. it did not do well theatrically. It had like a limited run on art house art houses like if they were doing like a japan retrospective they would get a print of akira there's a 70 millimeter print of akira mm. that you can you can get um but uh on home video on vhs and on laserdisc that's why laserdisc helped funded the thing the thing looks gorgeous yeah like you just in level of in the level of animation the le- the maturity of the content just the, everything about it just instantly cements the idea that cart- just because it's a cartoon does not mean it is inherently childlike even though watching it now as an adult is very you know it's very just angry teen shit but <laughs> yeah yeah it still puts me in a bizarre mood but yeah it's funny how how much other stuff I've seen since then things that it's influenced um uh, where anime has kind of gotten to um, from there. But there's a lot going I mean, even, you know, probably my favorite anime series, Neon Genesis Evangelion, you can see the influence there, mm-hmm. you know, between things that they do. Um, and I, I feel like there's one moment where they talk about, like, playing God, and then there's, like, a really hard cut, um, and it felt very Neon Genesis Evangelion, where it's like, we are playing God, and then it, all the sound cuts out, and it cuts to, like, a, a, a really, like, kinetic kind of shot, and leaves you with this eerie feeling, and I feel like that they, they did that so much in Neon Genesis. Uh, if, you, if you listen back to our Neon Genesis Evangelion episode, if you want to get into where anime production in the 80s were, because a lot of the techniques that we uh, mentioned were kind of mind-blowing in the 80s that uh, the people like... Uh, Ano and the rest of the Gainax team were doing were incorporated in Akira. I like it is as much a technical demo and a dick swinging yeah. like show of of creative force than it is a narrative. Right. It, it feels like watching it now. It it kind of feels like uh, one of those like like Avatar or one of those big movies that they do just to showcase how badass CG is. Right. Uh, this was Akira. More so than like a post-apocalyptic tale of young boys in a time of great change, it's just a fucking masterclass on the height of what hand-drawn animation was capable of at that time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's uh, if I have much more to say about it. Uh, I mean, I think that that just go watch it. Uh, it's it's definitely don't get way too high to the point where all the yeah. teddy bears and war and screaming blood it, doesn't fuck you up. It will put you in a weird mood. Um, if you if you love the anime, I cannot suggest uh, enough to go and read the manga. In fact. Um, there is a 35th anniversary box set coming out in late October of this year. Um, so that's only a couple months from now. All six vo- volumes. You've got an Akira Club art book and um, that pill design patch it mm-hmm. comes with, apparently. I'm going to definitely look. Capsules. I bet it's going to be way too expensive, but I'm definitely going to look in.
into it. I think I might try to get that for myself. Um, so yeah, if 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 you were considering, you know, getting the volumes, maybe even hold off for this October release, depending on like how pricey that is, because you can get the whole thing right then and there, or just borrow it for some from somebody. They now they used to be steal it. They used to be really hard steal to it. find. Walk into a Barnes and Noble. Pick up all six oversized okay. volumes. Okay. Stuff them under your shirt. Sure. Tape them to your pant leg. Absolutely. And just walk out the door. They're gigantic, um, so get big pants. <laughs> Wear much bigger pants than you have. Uh, You're going to have to steal a pair of very large pants. <laughs> this is a multi-tier heist. <laughs> Fine. Go to the big and tall store. Steal some giant Go to the pants. underground bar where all the crooks live and talk to their <laughs> pants guy. <laughs> um... But uh, yeah, it's it's really it's really phenomenal. It's really uh, uh, just on another level. I, I it, and I fucking flew through it. It looks intimate, like an intimidatingly shitload of uh, material. Obviously, two thousand pages, but I flew through that thing, man. I was also um, a stoner in college who had literally zero else to do but sit and read. <laughs> so it might be a little different now. Um, uh, but yeah, it was old days. Huh? The good old days. Oh, the good old days. But it, it is, um, well, now I just am a stoner that plays video games for strangers on the internet, so I guess not much has changed. It's a, but it's a very harrowing scale. <laughs> it is. Um, but anyways, yeah, yeah, I, it's, that's all I really have to say, I think. Just fucking read it, watch I think, it. I think we sold it well. Yeah, I think we got it out there. I think we got the word out about Akira. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Anime for mature audiences, for bad boys. And I remember it really was like you've the, never seen animation like this. It really was like the only anime like in the blockbuster. Yeah. Like there was always a copy of Akira there. I remember that and always being like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, with the the iconic cover with uh, Kaneda with the laser gun standing over some kind of rubble with the phrase "Neo Tokyo is about to explode," <laughs> which is much better. Uh, it's, I'm gonna say it, it's better than the poster we're more familiar with, with like just the close up on the bike. And Kaneda yeah. walking towards it slowly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, write a review on iTunes, please. That always helps us out a lot. And because of your support, we're uh, starting to be able to take this podcast to the next level and actually get pissed from some of it, which is great because we do hours of research every week. And uh, it really is is uh, nice to see that you guys are supporting the show and that we are actually starting to be able to like, I don't know, live off of it a little bit. It's nice that we decided to make a podcast that respects your time and like maybe just maybe people will respect ours. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? You can follow me on Twitch, Holdenator's Ho. I'm streaming on the reg, on the constant. Jake? It is uh, on it. Like if it is, it is one of the most fun things to do in the waning hours of a workday. Is just to keep the Holdenators host stream open in a little window. Yep, Jake pops it all the time, man. Super fun. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. I also uh, help out with uh, the Drawfee channel on YouTube, and where anything on Dorkly written by Dorkly staff is always one hundred percent Jake Young. It's a lie, actually. We have a small team of <laughs> editors that uh, all contribute wonderful things. I do have a nice comic uh, that posted on. <laughs> Friday awesome. about uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. So uh, uh, nice. check that out. Nice, it's, nice. We got some good art on that. Nice. Um, all right. Thank you much, everybody. Bye. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.